Good morning. It's good to be together. If you could get a Bible uh, in, into your hands, copy of God's Word, and turn to the book of Acts. We're in chapter 2 this morning, Acts chapter 2. You have maybe heard of this chapter of the Bible before. It is a chapter from which whole denominations in Christianity have gone their separate ways, right? This is a significant and important chapter in the Bible. This probably, I mean, I think we could say definitely this chapter describes for us a day in history that's got to be one of the most significant days of all time, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God on the disciples and on the church. This is the birthday of the church. This is the beginning of the New Testament church of which we, by God's grace, are part of that. And so that's that's the focus this morning in Acts chapter 2. We're going to take verses 1 through verse 21 and study those this morning. The title of the message is that the Spirit has entered the building. Why? Because we have been looking in Acts. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11 is about Jesus' ascension and that he is continuing his ministry from heaven. He's not retired. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And the book of Acts recounts for us the continuing work of the risen Lord. We looked in verses 12 through 26 of chapter 1 last Sunday. We talked about how they were praying, they were waiting for the promise that Jesus made to be fulfilled, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The disciples were in the upper room, they're waiting for the Spirit to come, to arrive. And so in chapter 2, appropriately, the Spirit has entered the building. The power has come. The day has arrived. This phrase comes from or is a little bit of a twist on the popular phrase, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. (laughs) What is that about? Well, at concerts of Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, which I actually had top quotes by Elvis Presley on a piece of paper and I was going through my notes and I couldn't find them. So I didn't bring them into the pulpit with me, and it's really all of us are blessed by me losing that sheet of paper. Um, is that true? Yeah, we, yeah, we tested them out this morning. Um, so anyways, but at these concerts, the ecstatic and waiting fans of Elvis would wait around after his concert thinking maybe he's going to do an encore. And they wouldn't leave until the PA announcer would come on the microphone and say, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building, not coming back. And so I only picked that title for this message because I wanted it to grab our attention and I wanted us to think about this waiting that the disciples have been doing and how one so much greater and so much worth waiting for has entered the upper room. Acts 2, 1 through 21. The outline this morning is simple. If you got one as you came in the door, you should have it. You can just show me that you got it. Did you get it this morning? All right. Very simple. 
In fact, why don't we just fill it in? So uh, point one, where and when? Real time, I'm filling this out with you, okay? Point one, where and when? Some of you are like, I didn't bring a pen to church. It's all online for me. That's fine. Online worship God has the outline there. Point two, how? You can write in the hugest font that you want to because that whole blank right there is for the word how. <laughs> Next one is why. And the fourth point is so what? There you go. You see mine? Yep, looks like a little child's handwriting. So, all right, so that's the outline. We're just going to go through this passage following those points. And uh, what I want to do just to start us off is read verses 1 through 11 and pray. So Acts 2, 1 through 11 is here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. By the way, I've shared this before, but the best way to read hard-to-pronounce words in the Bible, fast and confident. doesn't really matter how you pronounce them because nobody else knows either. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues, look at it, the mighty works of God. I'll stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. And what we read about here is Christians being filled with the Spirit. And we as Christians this morning need you to fill us with the Spirit. To do anything really, but especially for this time that we spend peering into your word and wanting to understand it better, wanting, Lord, to learn, to grow, to be more like Jesus. And so help us this morning, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate to us the truth of your word and the reality of your presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Spirit has entered the building Acts 2, verse 1 through 21. So the first point is from verse 1, and the point is we're just going to track through this passage and asking these questions. That's why the point is where and when. Where and when? What was going on here at Pentecost? And really the answer to the question where and when, if you want to write something more, you could just write God's perfect timing and location. God's perfect timing and location. Let me read to you verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
Now, this is about 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. We know that his ascension was about 40 days after his resurrection. So 10 more days have passed. And here we hear of this thing called, do you see it there? The day of Pentecost. Now, what is that? That is a big holiday in Israel. That in these days was just like there is in every culture. There are holidays that are a big deal to the people in that culture, just like there is in America with Christmas, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving. There were and are in other cultures and were in that day big holidays. Pentecost. This is a festival. It's a feast that is commanded in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, Listen to the word, Pentecost. You can hear in the word the same root, right, that you hear in Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Pentateuch, or Pentagon, a shape with five sides. What does Pentecost mean, you ask? It means 50. It means on the 50th day. That's on the Jewish calendar when this festival, this big holiday was supposed to happen seven weeks after the first fruits festival at the beginning of the harvest. Seven weeks, seven days in a week, seven times seven, 49. All right, 50th day. Makes sense. Pentecost. So that's what this is. Think New Year's Eve at Times Square minus all the debauchery, okay? And for sure, minus the hosts on TV. Think Times Square. No, think Macy's Day Parade at Thanksgiving. Just picture the streets of Jerusalem filled with people and life and many different languages and cultures that have come to Jerusalem for this holiday because it was one of three pilgrimage festivals, meaning you're supposed to go to Jerusalem and bring an offering to God at the temple. Literally, there were people from everywhere in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Why does this matter? Well, you know that Jesus told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit. You know that he could have, Jesus could have sent the Spirit right after his ascension. He could have sent the Spirit in answer, for sure, to the prayers of the disciples saying, you told us to wait. We we want you to send your promised Holy Spirit. You know, they were praying every day, Lord, today. And those prayers were not answered yet. They were waiting. They were fervently praying. And yet God made them continue to wait. And the, the question we should ask is, why? Why did God not just send his spirit sooner? What do you say? Here's what we should say. Think about it. Because the day of Pentecost is a time when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would have the greatest international impact on the greatest number of people for the greatest spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is why. That is God's priority. And so his timing in the place that he chose to pour out the Spirit go with his priority. The point is that God's timing is best. Isn't that so simple? Yet it's so profoundly true. And it is a point we can draw from this text. God's timing is best. 
God's timing is best. It's better than my timing. Even when I struggle to understand it, to see it, or believe it, even when I pray, God, today, and he makes me wait, God's timing is best. And God's timing is aligned with God's priorities. So where and when? God's perfect timing and location. Second point, how? How? And if you want to write something else, you could write once and for all and world changing. Once and for all and world changing. Look at verses two and three. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Think about, think about this description. Like this day is so amazing. And so it's okay if you want to say weird and so unique and so once and for all. He, he, he says, and suddenly, so this happened suddenly. It came on them in an instant. There came from heaven a sound, and he says, and this is a key word. He says the word, do you see it there? Like a mighty rushing wind. Another translation says, like the blowing of a violent wind. He's using the word like because he can't really describe what happened. It actually wasn't a mighty rushing wind. It was like a mighty rushing wind is what he's saying. But he's even saying it wasn't even like that. It just sounded like that. Again, he's not talking here about that they felt something. He's not saying they felt the breeze of the Spirit on their face like... No, he's not talking about that. He's saying this is what they heard. He's saying the sound of the Spirit coming was like a mighty rushing wind. In the Old Testament, the word for spirit, it's the same word for wind, ruach. Just imagine the scene. Words fail to describe what they were experiencing, and so they just use analogies. It was like this. They continue with that. They said divided tongues as of, again, words of analogy, as of fire. Maybe not really fire, but as of fire. The best way they know to describe what's going on, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is so unique, so once and for all. It's hard really to picture this, isn't it? We wouldn't want to have that exercise this morning. Let's all just draw a picture of verses 2 and 3 and then each come up and share. Uh, We can't do that. You know, as hard as it is to picture, you know what's not hard is to get the meaning. The meaning is simple and clear. What is the meaning, you say? It's this, that the Holy Spirit did not just land on Peter as God was specifically and uniquely present with, say, Moses at Mount Sinai. No, the Holy Spirit, when you see divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, so the Spirit came down, and then whatever they saw divided, and it says rested on, do you see it? Each one of them. In other words, the Spirit did not just land on the gifted leader. The Spirit 
was poured out on all flesh, on every one of God's children, on every Christian. That's actually the meaning, and that's not hard to understand. So how? Verses 2 and 3 paint a picture of a once and for all and world-changing event of the Spirit of God as promised by Jesus being poured out on the church. Warren Wearsby said in his commentary, a pastor from Chicago, Pentecost was a once-for-all event that will not be repeated. The church may experience new fillings of the Spirit, and certainly patient prayer is an essential element to spiritual power, but we would not ask for another Pentecost any more than we would ask for another Calvary. How? Once and for all and world-changing. And so now let's talk about why. Let's keep going in these verses. Here, verses 4 through 11, which we already have read. I just want to draw out some key phrases in verses 4 through 11. But again, when we ask the question why, the answer to that question is to give power to share the gospel with the world. Power to share the gospel. Look, it says in verse 11, both Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to start in verse 4. Verse 4. We'll get to verse 11. And they were all filled. This is the believers. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, So the Spirit comes down, descends, is poured out on the disciples, not just on Peter, not just on John, but on every Christian. It could have been the 120 that were in the upper room, including men and women, but the Spirit is poured out on these Christians, all of them. And it says in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means to be so filled up that you're controlled, right? That's why often when people are filled with the Spirit in Scripture, as we're about to see here, they get accused of maybe even drunkenness. It's like you're so full of alcohol that you're under the influence. You're so full of the Spirit that you're controlled by the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. That's the idea. So they were filled with the Spirit. And it says, look at this, and it's so unique. It says that they were, in verse 4, they began to speak in, do you see it? Other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So other tongues, literally other languages, different languages is what it says here. So is this, we should ask, a miracle of speaking or a miracle of hearing? In other words, what I'm saying is, did, did Peter and John and James and Matthias and all these guys, were they speaking in their native tongue of, say, Aramaic, and then it was going up into like spirit translate, and then it was coming down into the ears of all the people the day of Pentecost that were in Jerusalem, and they were hearing them in their own language? No, that is not what was happening. They ask later the question, they ask, how is it that we're hearing them in our own language? 
They even say, because they do hear these men speaking, in verse 7, at the end of it, they say, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? It's like an insult. Luke's being kind of humorous here. He's like, aren't these like the rednecks from Galilee? Like, how could they possibly know 12 languages? Like, these are people like from Moorhead City or like from Fuquay. It's like, no, that doesn't even compute. That doesn't make sense. Like you can hear in their accent, this is crazy. That's what they're saying. This was a miracle of speaking, not a miracle of hearing. The Galilean accent was evident. But what's amazing in verses 4 through 11, if you read through it, are there are 16 locations mentioned. What the point is, is that this is the entire known world has come to Jerusalem the day of Pentecost, and they are hearing the disciples. What are, what are the disciples doing? They are, verse 11 says, declaring the mighty works of God. And they're being enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it in the native tongue of the people who are in Jerusalem, who are from all over the world. Praise God. This is amazing. If you look at this list, you'll notice a few things. The first thing you'll notice right away is that America is not first. <laughs> No, America's not even mentioned in the list. And it's a great reminder for us of how grateful and humble we ought to be that the gospel of Jesus Christ was spread because the Spirit was poured out in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and they, filled with the Spirit, were bold witnesses of the good news of Christ around the world, eventually reaching us. Why? Why the day of Pentecost? Again, the answer is power to share the gospel. Verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So they were enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak the languages of the people who were in Jerusalem that day. They were not speaking a heavenly language. They were not speaking a non-real language. They were speaking actual languages in the native tongues of the people who were there in Jerusalem. And they were doing it not for their own sort of ecstatic benefit, but they were doing it. It says in verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Jesus had told the disciples in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the why? God's interest, God's heart is to bring the good news of Christ about his son, about grace to the entire world. One scholar, Dr. Ben Witherington, says the major point of all of this is that the spirit overcomes all barriers, even of languages, to witness to the various parts of the known world even to the ends of the earth. 
How do we apply this to our lives? I think it's simple but challenging. I mean, we need to recognize that two-thirds of the English word God is go. Right? We must see here in so many other places in Scripture that the missionary heart of the Holy Spirit when he enters the building is to leave the building and take the gospel to the world. How are we seeking to leave um, to live the Spirit-filled Christian life, which is a life on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So we have seen where and when God's perfect timing in place. We have seen how, and now we have seen why. And so finally and fourthly, let's look at so what. Verses 12 through 21. So let me just read you verses 12 uh, through 15 here, because here we see the way that people reacted to what was happening. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He says in verse 16, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. And we're going to go there in just a second. But first, I just want to talk for a second about these reactions that people have to the supernatural work of God in their midst. The first reaction you see is that people were amazed. They were perplexed, and they were asking the question, what does this mean? What does this mean? But others, it says in verse 13, they mocked it. And they said, these people are drunk. These people are drunk on new wine. Isn't that amazing? Here's the thing, and just remember this. The hardened heart will always find a way to dismiss the supernatural. Even when it's right in front of them. Even when their grounds for dismissal upon close examination is very weak, which it often is. They said, oh, these guys are drunk on new wine. And Peter said, thank you for that easy one. Now let me just demolish it by saying it's nine in the morning. It says it was the third hour. That's not three in the morning. In which case, we'd need to question Peter for his argumentation. They started their day at 6 a.m., so it's nine in the morning. But this will never change, will it? The hardened heart will always mock and dismiss the supernatural because the problem, the fundamental human problem, is not a problem of the eyes, of the ears, of the mind. It's a problem of the heart. And so here we see that there are these reactions to what is happening. And Peter stands up. It says actually that all the 12 stand. They all stand together. This nice symbol of the 12 tribes of Israel. They all stand together on this day of Pentecost. But Peter opens his mouth and he's a spokesman and he tells them in verse 15, these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. And he says, what's happening is Joel chapter two is happening. We should note the importance of Christians being willing to stand up 
and give definition, give the reason behind, give truth connected to experience. When we serve a community, be willing to stand up and say, here's why we did that. When something supernatural or incredibly cosmic or providential happens, be willing to open the Bible and say, here's what is going on. That's what Peter is modeling for us here. You have to speak up. So now let's dig into this quote. He quotes Joel chapter 2, and it's verses 28 through 32. And so if you're reading in the book of Acts, you might just write out to the side of Acts 2, 17 to 21. Just write Joel 2 right there if you don't have it already. But they're the same. He's quoting. So he says in verse 16, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, verse 17. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on the male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So the first thing, we'll, we'll stop there and we'll keep going in a minute. The first thing is that Peter is saying, hey, Men and women standing around in Jerusalem that just saw this incredibly profound event happen and are amazed by what's the supernatural work that's happening, these miracles. Let me give definition to it. What's happening is Joel chapter 2 is happening. And the first thing I want to tell you from Joel chapter 2 is that we're in the last days. That's what he says. We're in the last days. You say, oh, well, he said this 2,000 years ago, so he must have been wrong. No, when the Bible says we're in the last days, it just means we're not in the former days. It's, it means we're in the second half of the play. We're in the last days leading up to the very last day. We are in the last days, Peter says. The coming of Christ, the descent of the Holy Spirit has ushered in the last days. But then he says, About these last days, Joel prophesied it 500 years earlier, but what's going on, everybody, is that the Spirit has been poured out on all flesh, on every Christian. And he says, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and he goes through all of these different demographics, and he says, everyone has the Spirit. So what? Why is that significant? It's so significant. The implications of that, I hope, are obvious. If the Spirit is poured out on all, not just some, then Christians, every believer in Jesus Christ means we are empowered to live the Spirit-filled life of bearing fruit and of giving witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. Are you a Christian? Have you made a choice to put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then you have the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? then God's will is that you be filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that God has control over your life and you're yielding to his leading in your life. And his plan, his design in that is that you would be bearing fruit and that you would be on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every believer He says sons, daughters, mothers, fathers. He even says servants. In other words, not just the wealthy. Every believer, spirit poured out. 
verse 19 and 20. He continues in this buildup in Joel and in Acts 2, talking about the coming day of the Lord, these acts of God, these acts of nature that point to the coming day of judgment. Let me read it. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Peter is saying on this day of Pentecost to this massive crowd in Jerusalem with the Holy Spirit of God as this amazing translator, saying to them, we're in the last days. In the great day, the great and magnificent day of the Lord, the day of judgment is coming. We've never been closer to it. Verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel said this 500 years before the time of Christ, and Joel would have been referring to everyone who calls upon the name of Yahweh will be saved, not knowing the full revealed meaning of what that would come to mean when Peter says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, like Joel said, the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you a person? Are you alive? Do you have a conscience a little bit, knowing right from wrong? You are made by God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is just. We'll all give an account. There will be a day of judgment. But God is loving. He is gracious. He has made a way for men and women lost without him to be found, for men and women who are sinners to be saved. What is that way, you say? Verse 21 tells us everyone. Who's excluded? No one. Everyone who calls upon the name of who? The Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Paul picks up on this and even quotes the same verse in Joel in Romans 10. He says in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And he continues, and I'll just show you in verse 13, he quotes from Joel 2. He says, Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, this passage challenges us to ask ourselves the hard eternal question, have I definitely called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Have you? Not have you gone to church. Not does your grandmother pray for you. 
Not are you trying your best to get a fresh start and turn over a new leaf and be a good person. No, no, no. Have you called on the Lord to be saved? That the death of Jesus Christ on the cross would be for you, him dying in your place, him taking your sin on himself and you receiving his righteousness and most of all, salvation. So in conclusion, we've looked at this passage, the first 21 verses of this passage, the beginning of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, which we'll pick up next week. We looked at where and when, and we reflected on how God's timing is best and his place is best. We looked at how, and we talked about how it was a once and for all world-changing event, the day of Pentecost. We looked at why, to empower you and me to take the gospel to the nations. So what? So what? We're in the last days. And every believer has been given the Holy Spirit and given a gift and empowered and commanded to serve in the body of Christ to reach people with the message of Jesus. So let's close in prayer and ask God to even further apply this